Film will always be my first love. I, I, I love it. I love writing for film. However, as a writer, um, it is not satisfying because you, you have always the budget in your head. Every sentence you write, you have the budget in your head and think, how much will this cost? I could never write science fiction. And the only way to really do that and have the really um, big concept stories and ideas uh, is by writing novels and uh, actually I never looked back because the, the freedom I have with my creativity is worth everything else. Do you love science fiction and fantasy books? You found yourself in the right dimension. Welcome to the greatest podcast in the multiverse, where each week I talk to science fiction and fantasy authors about myth, magic, and the infinite possibilities of storytelling. I'm your host, Herman Stuernagel, and I will be taking you on a journey with some of your favorite authors, helping you to get to know them and possibly uncover some new literary gems along the way. Ready to explore? Because on this show, every conversation is a doorway into a different world. Welcome to the greatest podcast in the multiverse. This is episode eight. I'm happy you could join me. Today, my guest is Anna Mossacat, and as you will hear, Anna has been writing for most of her adult life, and she has really built a niche for herself in the subgenre of cyberpunk. Today, we'll discuss her history of writing for film, how books, films, and games have influenced her work, as well as we will take a bit of a deep dive into her most latest book, Space Punks. We really have a great discussion, so I hope you'll stick around for that. I don't have much of a personal update for you this week. Chimera is off to advanced readers, and I'm waiting to get edits back for book three in that same series, Resurgence. I'm doing a few final tidy-ups and proofread of Chimera in order to get it ready for publication in a few weeks, which I cannot believe that we are less than a month away from the release of Chimera. And that's it for me for a personal update. The book of the week this week is Wistful Ascending by J.C.M. Byrne. I'm going to have the author of this book on next month. So I'm not going to tell you too much about it, other than it's a superhero book that's set in space. It is a lot of fun. I had a great time with this book, and it wasn't at all what I expected. Uh, so please do hit that subscribe button so that you can hear that interview with JCM Byrne next month, and you don't want to miss that one. Which also reminds me that if you haven't already, please subscribe to this channel on YouTube and hit that like button. I know you hear it on every channel that you listen to, um, but it really does help others find my channel. Um, which is so important as I'm still just getting started with this podcast and I really would like to reach out to more readers. All right, that's all for me personally. I'm going to read Anna's bio and then we'll get started with the interview. Anna Mossacat is an award-winning, internationally published author of Behind Blue Eyes, Space Punks, Shadow City, Cyber Squad, and more. Her Behind Blue Eyes series is one of the most popular contemporary cyberpunk book series. Before becoming a novelist, she graduated from film school and worked as a screenwriter and game writer for over a decade. Anna Mossacat may or may not be a cyborg. All right, so welcome back to the greatest podcast in the multiverse. I am so excited to have Anna Mossacat here with me today. Welcome here, Anna. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really excited. Um, I'm excited too. This is going to be a fun chat. Um, can you start by telling us a little bit about your writing journey and what brought you to this point in your author career? So I'm probably one of the few people who have uh, been a writer or a professional writer all their adult life. So I've done nothing, not much more uh, than that all my life. I uh, um, 
I used to work in the in the film industry. I, I am an, um, a screenwriter by education. So that's what I did for, for a decade. And I that's why I basically learned my craft. Uh, later on, I worked in the video games industry as a game writer. And um, yeah, then I, as you can hear, I am not from here. I am uh, from Europe. So I, I, I used to live in Germany. I was published there by uh, a big publisher. And that's where I, uh, where I became like a novelist full time. And now uh, here I uh, have decided to go the indie way. Okay, wonderful. So what, what um, caused the transition from, you know, developing or writing for video games and being in the film industry? How did you go from that into, into writing full time? Film will always be my first love. I, I, I love it. I love writing for film. I also directed uh, short films and commercials and did stuff like that. So I love the magic about film. That's like what I love most about it, the craft. However, as a writer, um, it is not satisfying, in my opinion, because you, you have always the budget in your head when you write something. Every sentence you write, you have the budget in your head and think, how much will this cost? And was, will it be possible to realize for the budget I can have? And especially in, in Germany, where the industry is much smaller than here, um, this is a huge problem. So it was never satisfying. I could never write science fiction. I used to write horror back then, which is also cool, but I always wanted to do science fiction. And the only way to really do that and, 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 and have the really um, um, big concept stories and ideas uh, is by writing novels. So um, that's why eventually I I came uh, to to this to this uh, writing. And uh, actually, I never looked back because the the freedom I have with my creativity is worth everything else. So, what's the why in your writing? What's the motivation for your storytelling? You know, what why what drew you into novel writing? So most of all, I really want to entertain people and have them a good let have them a good time. Yeah, that's, so that's probably most the most important thing for me. I'm I'm not in this for giving getting awards and being read by zero point one percent of people and nobody else understands it. I really want to write um, science fiction on a on a on a high level, but still entertaining. That's like uh, my goal, and that's. That's what I'm doing. And um, yeah, I always was a writer. So it always was this uh, thing for me. I, I always was creative on my professional life. Yeah. And, you know, you have a number of books under your belt so far. And, you know, it looks like you're you're succeeding in entertaining people, which is which is wonderful. Um, well, thank so, you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what does your writing process look like? How do you how do you approach your how do you approach your, a new story as you're about to write it? So, um, unfortunately, I'm not one of those people who can uh, just uh, churn out a, a book a month, like 100,000 words. There are people like that. I am not like that. It takes me a long time to develop a story and characters and a world. I think especially world building in science fiction is really, if you do it right, it's really complicated. So I spend a lot of time on that. And I mean, you write also uh, space opera. So you know um, how much work that is, how, how, how many details and everything and how much research goes into that. I, I always try to have it as, um, as close to science as possible. Of course, it's still fiction. So 
if, if we stuck to, to physics 100%, it would be boring. So we need to take some liberties, but at least to make it plausible. So that, that requires tons of research, at least for me, because I'm no physicist. And um, so for me, like for space punks, it took me almost a year to from, from the first idea, the first spark in my head to when I actually started writing the book. And then it, the writing took me another uh, four months. When the world is already established, like in a series that I already have, it's of course much easier than I usually write a book in, in three months. Okay. So you spent a year planning for the book and then four months to actually write it. Is that? Yeah. I mean, I published a couple of books in the meantime and, and wrote them, but like, you know, I spent really a lot of time uh, when I had the time to, to think about it and develop it and the world, especially the yeah. characters come usually uh, relatively easy to me, but um, yeah, the world took a lot of, lot of work. Right. Yeah. You know, you're developing a, a full world. So, you, you know, you're, if you're trying to establish the details and the intricacies of the world, um, it takes a lot of time to make sure that you develop something that you can remain consistent with, especially if you're building a series in the same world. Yeah. Yeah. Especially. Yeah. And then you sometimes have, you know, a lore of a, a couple hundred years or something like that, you know, and, and things happen in the past and you want them, you maybe they happened in the past. They are like backstory, but they need to be consistent. They need to make sense. I hate not, nothing more than like when you have, serious and suddenly something jumps out of the closet that was never there and you know okay the author just put it there because he wanted he needed a story or, or wanted it to go that way but it was never planned like that so this is something i think most people don't don't notice it but as a writer i notice it immediately okay this wasn't there and and you put it there later on and this is something I, I try to avoid and I do that by really do the odd work in, in, in advance and, and try to be as precise as, as possible. Because you know that also, it, it's not often, but some readers will contact me and will ask super detailed questions. Like really like, like on Instagram, I, I had it not long ago, a guy has started asking questions about Behind Blue Eyes and like the backstory and what did Nephilim's father do in this year and so on and so on. And actually I, I could answer all those questions because I know it, but um, yeah, <laughs> it happens. Sometimes readers want to know really everything. Yeah. Right. So it's, I mean, it's great that you have all those details planned out ahead of time so that you're able to you know, respond to those questions because those reader questions do come and it's sometimes surprising that the, you know, the amount of detail they want to know. Yeah, exactly. And it, I think it would be pretty embarrassing if you say, Oh, I have no idea, you know, <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I guess it depends on the, probably depends on the question a little bit as well, but so how, you know, what, where does your inspiration for your stories come from then? Uh, I don't really know. <laughs> just it's just just comes, you know. Uh, I am fortunate. I never get a writer's block or anything like that. I just have uh, plenty of ideas, and mm -hmm. so um, I don't need a muse. I'm right. my own muse, so <laughs> it's difficult to tell. You know, from from the void, from from the white noise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I I can definitely relate to that. Sometimes, you know, I, I'll hear. A lyric of a song and it'll and i'll and it'll inspire an entire series you know something yeah, like that exactly be, yeah that's you know your brain just takes it and run with runs with it or the muse as you as you say so 
yeah, I definitely understand that. Um, how about other authors? What authors have inspired your writing? So when uh, when I was young, I, I read a lot of classics like um, Isaac Asimov is probably one of the, the biggest influences on me. I also read a lot of Stephen King. I wrote, um, of course, uh, Philip K. Dick and uh, George Orwell is one of my all time favorites. Um, so, yeah, I read all those books when I when I was a teen, like, you know, when other girls were reading uh teenage romance novels, I was like uh, reading about spaceships and robots. And uh, obviously, obviously the other girls thought I'm weird, but whatever, <laughs> it's a long time ago. And, and you took it and ran with, ran with it. So you did, you've done, you did well with that. Yeah, well, that's, that's just how it is. You know, I, I, <laughs> I still don't like romance novels. Okay. So no. for my cyberpunk books, I, I've been inspired very much, uh, by Ghost in a Shell, that's okay, not a book, but uh, a movie, which was like for me very, very important. And later on, um, for uh, by um, Richard Morgan's books. Um, so yeah, he he inspired me a lot to to write, uh, to bring in all those grittiness and violence and sex in in the books because that's what he does. And science fiction is very often. Uh, a little bit sterile, like you know, for from Star Trek, for example, uh, it's so sterile you could eat of of the floor. Uh, so uh, I wanted to make to 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 make it a little bit more adult, and that's what what he does in his books, and that's what I also do in my books. And I saw, okay, it works well from him for him, so why not? Yeah, right. So you you know you have a few books out currently. Uh, how many books do you have total? <laughs> um okay so uh f book number 14 in english will uh release in september but i also have four books i wrote i published in german in germany before i came here and i have four german translations of my books so but but let, let's say to make it easy it's 14 14 yes okay good good and you're you know probably the most popular one or the one that I've seen the most, at least online is Behind Blue Eyes. Mm -hmm. uh, it looks like that series has quite a following, um, but you've recently started a new series uh, called Space Punks. Can you tell me a little bit more about that book and uh, what's it all about? So um, Space Punks is a space opera, but it's also very much cyberpunk. And since I am deeply into the cyberpunk genre, I thought that would actually make sense for me. So it's basically a blend of, of, of those two genres. It is set in space, it is set in the future, it is set on a spaceship most of the time, but it has uh, plenty of elements which are very typical for uh, for uh, cyberpunk. So you have like the mega corporations and cyborgs and uh, augmentations and, uh, and so on. So um, all of this, but in space. Okay. Yeah, can we delve a little bit more into cyberpunk? What, you know, just for listeners who might not be familiar with the genre, what what exactly is cyberpunk? Oh, <laughs> that's that's a good question. That's like I will try to make it really easy because uh, and quick because we don't have time for, you know, a scientific discourse of a cyberpunk. Uh we we have arguments about that like every day in the cyberpunk groups on Facebook where people discuss what is really cyberpunk and what is not. Um, I see it relatively broadly. I'm not one of the gatekeepers. I think a cyberpunk is a science fiction subgenre. This is the most important thing about it because some people think it has to do with 
punk movement or something like that. No, it's really just the name. It's a science fiction subgenre. It's a it's a fictional uh, genre, uh, but it is darker uh, and grittier than most science fiction, and it's usually set in an urban environment with you know big cities and and. Uh, all kinds of uh, shady stuff going on in between the canyons of the huge uh, skyscrapers and so on. So if you think of the of the of, of Blade Runner, of the aesthetics of Blade Runner, so this is like the the ultimate um, cyberpunk movie. Yeah, I think that's probably what most people are familiar with when they think of cyberpunk. If they you know know what cyberpunk is at all, uh, what are some other cyberpunk books or movies that people might might be familiar with that are popular in the genre? Um, so one of the problems we have in the genre is that there are actually not many really popular books. Um, so we have, um, William Gibson, who is like the biggest name in, in the genre, but, um, I mean, he was big 30 years ago and, and, uh, therefore the books are really old. So some of them have aged better than others, but it's really old. It's, it's like, you know, it's like reading Isaac Asimov. It's cool, but it's, it's not, not, not really up to date anymore so 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 this is like the big name we have in a genre and other than that yeah we have later on richard morgan but other than that there are not many successful authors um out there who write cyberpunk it's a very difficult genre to to establish yourself in and when it comes to movies it's movies it's much stronger and video games that's of course the strongest thing with cyberpunk 2077 with um, Deus Ex and uh, other games which have been around for a while. So, um, but of course, Cyberpunk 2077 is the most prominent one. I played it like 200 hours and I love it. And um, so in, 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 in video games, Cyberpunk is pretty popular. Movies, so-so, we have a little bit of TV, uh, but books is like pretty much of a... Uh, no man's land <laughs> right right yeah no and that's and that's kind of what i expected as well because you do see it a lot in video games and someone you know in movies as well so i was just wondering what you know because it's not a genre that i've read extensively um so it's good to to know kind of your take on that and uh as far as cyberpunk 2070 2077 goes i play, actually that that game actually got me through COVID. i got COVID kind of the week that it came out and I had nothing else to do. So I downloaded that game and was, it kept me, kept me busy. I had some friends playing as well. So it kept, got me through being sick. So you enjoyed it despite COVID? I did. Yeah. I, you know what? It was a great distraction for me. And uh, I, yeah, I logged a lot of hours in that game as well. Yeah. I, I, I love despite, it. It's, despite it's some of the game. bugs it might've had. So I, I didn't have any, any issues with it. <laughs> Funny enough, I never had any issues with it. You know, I played it often uh, on an old Xbox One and, and I never had any bugs. So I was lucky I could just enjoy it and play it. And it was really wonderful. So yeah, for a cyberpunk fan like me, this game, of course, was like uh, the, the fulfillment of, of my dreams. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I really enjoy. I really did enjoy the game. I had a few bugs, and I was playing on a PS4, so you know I was on on an older console, and I still didn't have a lot of the issues some people were having. There were a few bugs, but it wasn't enough to detract from the enjoyment of it. So I still had fun with it. PlayStation usually has more issues than than uh, Xbox. It's like from a game developer's view, 
PlayStation is a pain in the ass to to, to develop on. So uh, it was absolutely no surprising that the PlayStation uh, uh, players had much more uh, problems with the game than the Xbox players. Yeah, yeah, and it was just a you know a bigger game I think than the older uh, the older generation models could handle too. I think was the bigger problem with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was insane that they did it for old and uh, next gen consoles. That was probably that was the problem. They shouldn't have done it. It was too ambitious. But thankfully, because I yeah, it was COVID. I certainly didn't have the money to buy myself a no. you know new Xbox. So I'm I'm happy I could play it on my Xbox One. Yeah, me. I I am happy as well about that. Uh, so tell me a little bit more about Space Punks. You know, what is the uh, what's the basic plotline for it? So um, it starts out with uh, David, who is um, a young man, and he ends up on a, in a high security prison on the Martian moon Deimos. And he, uh, he remembers who he is, but he doesn't remember how he got there. He got a blow to his head and his uh, biochip in his head fried. And so everything is scrambled in his mind. So he is there and he wonders how he got there because the, the worst people in the solar system are put on, in this prison and, and there he is and he thinks he's a good guy. So uh, this is like how the story starts. Luckily for him, he meets uh, Aztec in jail, who is like a purple-haired um, cyborg chick, and uh, she's pretty badass. The first thing she does, she beats up a group of thugs uh, uh, in the shower, naked, and uh, that's how she's introduced. And luckily for him, she takes him along on a jailbreak because she has been hired to actually bring someone out of this jail who is there. Uh, so this is a huge... Um, reference to escape from new york actually which is uh, one of my favorite movies and this is basically the story of it so she's she's there in in this jail to get someone out and and he happens to be there and she she takes him along says okay i need help to, with that and and you you seem to be the right guy for that and then uh, that's how he ends up on a spaceship with her and her friends who turn out to be uh, like um the coolest uh, uh, mercenary group in the galaxy. And um, that's how his adventures start. And um, yeah, there are also, so yeah, there, there are mechs and there are robots and cyborgs and spaceship battles and uh, more robots. Uh, <laughs> so like the, there, there was a war a hundred years ago that almost destroyed humanity. Uh, that's, so that's like the, the backstory of it hundred years ago. Um, if AI rose against humans and, and tried to destroy them like in Terminator basically and um, humans won uh, by really that much and so now any kind of artificial intelligence and robots are completely banned so humans have to do everything themselves again and that's where the cyborgs come into place because you can connect human brain with a computer and then basically have, um, have them do stuff they couldn't do otherwise like navigate spaceships and so on and uh so yeah so yeah that's that's basically the story so of course some of the killer robots have survived and we will meet them over the story but that's not that's not actually the main story the main story is something different right yeah so that's such an interesting premise and i have started reading i actually have started reading space punks i haven't gotten through the entire book yet but uh but the premise is so interesting to me. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. 
You think so? Yeah. Yeah, you're very welcome. How did you how did you take elements of cyberpunk and integrate them into space opera? Was that a difficult thing to do? Uh, at this point, I'm so much into cyberpunk. I mean, I have uh, three cyberpunk series. Uh, uh, one is finished, two are ongoing. So I'm, I'm, I'm so deeply into this whole matter. So bringing in cyberpunk elements was very, very easy. That's, that was the easiest part of it, actually. And I really, I, I have a thing for cyborgs. I really like cyborgs. So they always have fascinated me. And uh, so, of course, there are cyborgs in my book. And they're pretty cool and they're pretty sexy because they always are. And um, I, so for me, what I, the idea was why I brought this whole, this, this whole um, thing with the war with the AI and everything, because um, a lot of, a lot of space operas, which I really love, um, forget about artificial intelligence, or maybe they don't forget, they just leave it out intentionally because it's, it's, it's such a huge topic. Like for example, the expanse, I love it. It's a huge inspiration was also a huge inspiration for uh, space punks wonderful series but why is there no ai why are there no robots why are there no supercomputers i mean they shouldn't there should, alex is a fantastic character but he shouldn't be there a computer should be uh, doing his job you know because definitely a computer is, would be a better pilot than him and um right. so that's for me always the question why is that so why 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 is everything so analog when we are now in in, in uh, in the year 2023, and we already have uh, such incredible artificial intelligence and computer systems right now. So, so if we imagine how it would be in a hundred years, if we're still there, I mean, maybe we will have the Terminator scenario. But if we're still there, it's absolutely implausible that humans will do anything themselves in space. And um, so that that was why I, I developed this backstory. So actually, an artificial intelligence is completely banned. It's not uh, not allowed to have them, build them, or or use them in any way. Um, right. Yeah. 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 And absolutely, when you when we look at how fast artificial intelligence is, seems to be progressing now, it's definitely a question that I think looking into any sort of futuristic uh, writing needs to be a at least something that's addressed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and um, I mean, yeah, some don't do it and that's, that's okay. But uh, uh, for me, it's always something that bugs me in the back of my head that I ask myself. Right. So is there, is there artificial intelligence present in your book without giving any spoilers away? Does it come into to play? Or is it just something that's part of the backstory? No, 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 no. It's very, it's actually very, very important for the story. But I can't tell you because maybe you will read the book till the end, and and maybe you would be actually surprised mm-hmm. um, that there is much more of them around than uh, people think. Okay. Uh, yes, uh, but I, I can't tell you anything about that. So so let's let's keep mm-hmm. it that way. Yeah. They were basically extinguished a hundred years ago, and so there is no artificial intelligence left in this world. Excellent. Yeah, no spo- no spoilers necessary. Um, so what was the most difficult part for you then um, developing this uh, space opera world to kind of, you know, develop your cyberpunk characters and technologies into? For me, it was really physics. I mean, I always have been a big physics fan. Um, so I, I like researching stuff like that. And I already had a, probably 
bigger than average uh, knowledge about physics and astrophysics before I started, but there was still so much to learn to, to make it plausible, you know, because space is a horrible place. It's so scary. I mean, you can't, for example, so you can't, you probably know it. I mean, you did a lot of space research yourself. So, you know, you would only survive 10 to 15 seconds in space without a spacesuit. Uh, so this is something we see very often in science fiction uh, movies and books. Someone is floating to space for a couple of minutes and then they get saved. And, and because they were holding the breath, uh, uh-uh, you know, and that's, that's, that's hundred percent death. No chance, no chance you, no, to, to, to survive that. So, so I have a, a space walk without a space suit right at the beginning of the book. And, um, so that's uh, where I, where I, thought of a, of a possibility how to make uh, that at least halfway plausible and then there is gravity which is like gravity is a bitch i mean oh my god gravity in space if we really take physics and we really would be very very strict about physics um 99 of all science fiction books wouldn't make sense of movies right i mean that's just how it is so so you have to you have to make the decision for yourself how deeply you really go into science, how strict you keep to it. Because if you would, as I said earlier, if you would stick to it 100%, the book will turn out pretty boring because physics is, uh, is really difficult and especially gravity will make things super difficult. I mean, we have different gravity yeah. on every planet in our solar system. You can't just walk uh, around on, on one planet and then fly to another one and walk around there with no problem. That's even if we say it's we have like something on spaceships that creates fake gravity, like in Star Trek, even then, you know, just going down on on planets and then to another one, that's, that's not how it works, you know? So those are the things I put so much thought into it and tried to, to make them at least plausible, but there will always be some smart ass who will give me a bad review and say, okay, this is not accurate. Okay. No, 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 this is not accurate. Or something like that. There will always be one, yeah. one at least one guy. <laughs> right. You know, and that's the hard thing I find with writing science fiction, you know, for, I find this as well, is that you can't please everybody. You're either writing, it's either too heavy in the sci-fi or it's not not heavy enough. And, and there's mm-hmm. some technical thing that, you know, you, you didn't include or you didn't get right. Um, but, you know, you're, I mean, gravity is that tough one because you do have to do a bit of hand waving, or at least I did in my series. Yeah, they have artificial gravity and not, you know, either you don't include somebody who can explain it very well, but it just works. Or you, you know, you do have some sort of explanation that's kind of based in reality, but, but you're right. You know, that was one of the, the things I came, tried to grapple with as well in my books. Okay. I wanted to make it somewhat realistic as well, because it's, you know, set in our solar system, you know, kind of a couple hundred years in the future, but how do they deal with artificial gravity with, you know, bases on the moon and that sort of thing where, you know, the gravity would be a third of what we have here. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. And, and I also have like in, in, in Space Punks, um, the people, um, so so Mars and and, and everything Martian is, is the standard because Earth's, isn't there anymore because of the war. So Mars is like the human stronghold, number one. So everything on Mars is the normal thing. And then mm-hmm. on Mars, the gravity is, is one third of, of uh, what we have on Earth and which is also on Venus. So if you imagine someone who grew up there, and they also have the same gravity on all spaceships uh, because 
it's, it's like standard, also Martian standard time and everything. But if you imagine you grew up on, on Mars and then you go to Venus, how would you feel? That would feel horrible. It would be as if you would suddenly weigh three times as much as you do now. Uh, and so this is like the, uh, uh, a scene where, uh, you know, the captain goes on, uh, he, he, on, on Venus and he ca can hardly walk because and he breaks out in sweat and everything. And he's like, oh, my God. And, and, and the cyborgs are like, oh, what's going on? You should work out more. And um, <laughs> because, yeah, for, for them, it's, of course, a, a no big deal to, to carry a little bit more. But for a human, that would be really, really awful to do. Yeah. And then on the other yeah. hand, you, you go on, on CRS and you will bounce off the surface if you jump. So <laughs> that's, that's the kind of thing. But back to, to, to artificial gravity, I don't know how you resolved it, but uh, I for me, I, I gave a very, very um, brief explanation about it and didn't go into detail because you can only lose when you try to do that because obviously, according to physics, it's something not possible. Uh, but I assumed, okay, from Star Trek and basically all major uh, science fiction franchises, we're so used to that. So people shouldn't yeah. be bothered by it. But promptly, I got a review where someone complained that there is artificial gravity in, in the book. Uh, so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. In Star Trek, it's obviously okay, but when I do it, it's not. So, as you said before, you can, you can never do it right. You can only lose because there will be people who will nitpick little things and either it's too hard sci-fi or not sci-fi enough. Yeah. Yeah. I d yeah, I've definitely seen that. So, you can't, <laughs> I mean, you can't let those, those nitpickers detract you too much from you know you just kind of have to pick a route and stick with it and yeah know, exactly where it, where it ends up is where it, where it is so mm -hmm. <laughs> what was you know so what was the most interesting thing that you learned during your research through this was there something that you know really jumped out at you that either whether you included it in the book or not that you know surprised you a lot of stuff actually so like that you really die after 10 seconds in space that was surprising I, I because of watching science fiction i assumed you have a little bit of a chance but re you really do not no. uh, what i also find very interesting is that it can be very very cold so you will basically freeze solid if you don't have a suit but it can also be very hot so you melt it depends on where you are where the sun stands and if you're in, in a direct uh, sunlight in space, it will become very hot. So you will basically, uh, well, yeah, cook in your in your in your spacesuit if you're if you're at the wrong place. And another place, you will you will freeze solid. And um, so this is something that totally surprised me because I was always thinking space is cold. So wherever you are, it's cold, but it's not. It can be very hot and not just directly next to the sun. And of course, the further you go away, the colder it gets. That's why we have the, the, uh, the ice giants and so on. But um, yeah, this was probably the most uh, uh, the most stunning thing for me because I had no idea. But of course, if you think about it, it makes sense. Do you have a favorite character in Space Punks? One that was your favorite to write and what made them special? Yes, yeah, so that would be Nightingale. He is a, a cyborg mercenary and he is very full of himself and very, uh, he drives his captain crazy with his, his snarky, sarcastic remarks. And he's, um, 
vain and arrogant, but he's still someone that uh, most readers really, really like. And it was it was great fun to to write him because he has like really the best lines in the books because he just he just gives a damn, you know, he will just tell you right away in your face, whatever, whatever he thinks. That's very funny when you read such a character, but I think being around him, he would drive me crazy. That's for sure. And, and probably most people, but um, that's the wonderful thing with, with fictional characters that uh, you can write them in a way they couldn't sustain in, in real life. And the interesting thing about him is because you mentioned before, how do the ideas come and so on. So actually he was at the beginning, he was, way much of a side character uh, when I started writing the book. But the moment he appeared in a, for the first time and I wrote the first scene with him, I knew, okay, this is like um, that he will steal the show from all other characters. Uh, it was like, I had never, I had never thought about that. I've never planned it like that. He was just supposed to be Aztec's boyfriend, but um, he turned out to be much, much more, and it's like he turned out to be uh, one of the most interesting characters also in the book. So that's how it sometimes goes, and probably, yeah. probably most authors can relate to that. Yeah, absolutely. Some of those characters that are the most fun to write, you know, they just don't seem to want to fade into the background. They demand more attention. And yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Fun. It's very interesting yeah. how they can have their own dynamic in your head. Do you absolutely. sometimes talk to I your characters in your head? No, not, I wouldn't say I talk to them, but they, de I definitely hear them saying things. So, so do, they, do you have them have conversations with each other in your head? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you have to, to some degree, because, you know, if you're working out a scene, um, or even if you, you have them in a situation or you're picturing them in a situation, you've got to imagine them having those conversations and how they, how each character would react specifically to each other in certain situations. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so being an author is, is you can have voices and hear voices in your head and not be crazy. <laughs> That's right. That's what we tell ourselves at least, right? <laughs> we just we give our we give the voices in our head pla a platform to speak. That's what yeah. we do. You know, so what can readers expect when they read Space Punks? What kind of emotional impact do you hope to have on them? So most of all, it's a fun story. It is. It has a lot of action. It has really cool characters, and and um, I think the world is also really exciting. So it's really a fun ride. It will grab you as, as readers in their reviews say it will like grab you in the first chapter and will just pull you through the whole story. So it's really a fun thing. It's maybe you know a little bit like like Firefly in in its in its whole. Um, tone of, uh, of of the story however it also turns uh, pretty serious in the end and pretty dramatic and there is also the characters also have a lot of depth and you know um existential questions will be asked and so on so that's that's woven into the story but i think most of all it's it's really like a fun action uh, spice uh, spy mercenary story with a lot of robots and cyborgs. And so it is the first book in a series, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. How many books do you have planned in the series? Hopefully many. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you have no set. You don't have a set number. And now not in this case. In in, in, in case of Bien Blois, it was like always set to be six books. So I'm at book four now. So I have two more to go. It was like always created to be like one story that will be go a full circle in the end. 
but um, Space Punks is different. It's it's not episodic, but it's it also I mean it also has like the big story arc, but um, it's I I hope I can write you know maybe six books or even more uh, with it if, if if readers like it. That's like always the question, right? Uh, yeah, yep, it definitely is. And so, do you have any other projects on the go, or is this kind of your main project for the foreseeable future? Uh, so I have actually a new series coming out in September. So this year I decided I'm crazy and tried to bring out two completely new series. Uh, but only Space Punks is like completely from the scratch. Uh, the other one is a spin off of, of Behind Blue Eyes. Um, okay. It's like more like a cyberpunk detective uh, spin off, uh, but set in the same world, in the same city and... Uh, uh, it features two side characters from the main series as, as main characters. So this is, of course, much easier to write and will be shorter. But I think it will be pretty exciting. So there's a lot of lot of dead people and, and, <laughs> and uh, yeah, Red Light District and so on. So I think it, it, will be, it will be pretty cool to read. So that's coming out in September. I'm about to finish it. I'm like writing the, the last... Uh, uh, 20,000 words now and and then okay. I'll be done. Perfect. Well, I think this episode will be coming out in September. So uh, why don't you let our listeners know what the name of that series is because they might be able to pick it up already or very soon, if not. Uh, yeah, so so the, the new series uh, title is uh, Neon Nights and um, yeah, it will be available everywhere. It's, as I say, a spin-off, but you can read it as a standalone, so you don't have to read Behind Blue Eyes first. But of course, you can, and it's probably more fun. But I would I would say if someone wants to try something I of, of my books, I would really recommend uh, reading Space Punks because um, everyone is telling me that it's my best book, and... Um, I think it's really a lot of fun. So if someone wants to read an Anamosica book, try try Space Punks before you, you try something else. Now I'm really mean. I'm like like a mom who, who has a favorite child. <laughs> well, you know, I think it's good too when your latest book is your favorite one because I, I think, you know, it's easy to um, look back and, and think, you know, you could have written an, an older book better and you take a look at your last one and it's kind of the sum of everything you've learned up to this point as a writer. So it's, I think we're it's... getting better as writers, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that's like from book to book. And I, in, in my case, it's like, I've been doing this really for a while and I have a couple of books out and I still, I, I was surprised that I'm still capable of getting so much better, which is like the case with, uh, with space punks compared to my previous work. So that's really something encouraging in a way, you know, even if, sales are maybe not uh, for for a new project sales are not as you would wish but as long as you can say i i improved and i'm getting better as a writer that's that's the most important thing in my in my opinion yeah i mean we definitely want to see or at least i want to see in my own writing improvement from book to book and uh, you mm -hmm. know if i look back and think yeah i could have done that one better but it's only because i've learned since then and that's definitely a good thing Yes, yes. I mean, we are overly critical uh, about our work anyway, <laughs> right? Especially yes. when it's not published yet. Uh, but um, I think in retrospect, uh, you often see the, the things you could have done better. And that's, that's how, you, how you should learn. Right. Yes. And it definitely depends on the day too, because sometimes I look at my latest work and I think, what am I doing? <laughs> what am I writing? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I'm now a little bit uh, a little bit nervous with my my latest project because I've never written anything like you know crime detective thriller. That's that's completely new for me. Of course, it's still cyberpunk, and of course there are cyborgs and so on. But um, it is a really uh, a very a new thing for me, very new turf for me. So I'm I'm a bit nervous, and I hope that I can do it well. Yeah, well, something for us to look forward to. <laughs> uh, so Anna, this is the greatest podcast in the multiverse. So you can can you tell us about how in a parallel universe a different choice might have shaped a different version of your life? I think many, probably that's something, if, if you ask this, this question, everybody will tell you there are many things like that in their lives, yeah. right? Like that have been, um, so probably one of, one of the biggest things in, in my life that would have turned me to be at a completely different point now than, than I am now, that was, um, like, I think, uh, 10 years ago, uh, I was, uh, uh, offered a job in uh, uh, one of the biggest publishing houses in Germany, and that was like I met I met the um, uh, the boss of the publishing house on a party, and we talked about stories, and he was so impressed by my knowledge of story story writing and development, and then um, uh, he offered me a job, and it would have been um, uh, um, head of acquisition for uh, for science fiction. Uh, books from from the US bought uh, for, for the cool. for the German market for this for this publisher, so it was an incredible job offer, like an incredible career offer, and that was really tough because um, it's, it was an amazing job with obviously a lot of money and you know traveling to book fairs and stuff, so it would have been really cool, and I turned this job down because I said I I. I want to write books. I don't want to go and buy them. I want to write them. And so wow. this is probably like one of the biggest, uh, you know, uh, points in my life where my life probably would have been now in, in a completely different, different place uh, than it is. I'm not saying that I regret it, but this is uh, usually most of the things were like, I was always going my way in my path and, and just 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 did the things I wanted to do. But this was like uh, such a big decision. Um, so I sometimes um, think about that. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And you no, know, I mean, you can't really regret those that type of decision because you made that choice. And it's obviously worked out well for you. And you know, you've been able to enrich the world with your stories. So so in a, a, in a parallel universe somewhere I'm, I'm sitting there and and would be now uh, considering if i should buy your books for for the publisher i'm working with or not and have them translated so that would be maybe probably i would uh, probably i would be a horrible person and, and a bitch by now so so <laughs> <laughs> because that that happens to so many people you know who have yeah. like power in this in this industry so I, I won't I won't exclude myself from that. I of course I would I would like to think that I would still be the same as I am now, but uh, who knows? Maybe you know I would be like 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 Mary Streep in the Devil Wears Prada or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly would have the money to buy myself designer shoes, which I don't have now. <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad that you stuck with the writing. I think many of us look at you know, a choice like that, especially where you're still in the publishing industry, um, but, you know, you're choosing between having a day job like that and, and your writing career. Um, and I think 
there's many of us that wonder if if we'd stuck with the writing career over the day job how things would how things would be different so good good for you yeah it was also so it was not only having a day job i i certainly could have you know said i tried to write in my free time even though it would have been a big change because i was a full-time writer before that but i probably would still have been writing but there would have been an interest of conflict which uh, uh conflict of interest uh, which yeah which would have been problematic. So I basically would have had to stop writing and publishing unless it would have been under a pen name and, you know, starting completely over and certainly not with this publishing house, which was my publisher also. Um, So uh, that was like almost like a decision between completely quitting writing or or, or continuing this 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 journey and i was just about to to get my my first book published with this big publisher so it was like no i i really want to write books yeah wow wow very cool well thank you so much for joining me today anna can you tell our listeners how they can find you and where they can purchase your books so on Amazon, of course, uh, if you put in Space Bunks, you will find my book. If you put in Behind Blue Eyes, you will find my book. It's easier than my name because my name is a little bit unusual. So it's easier to look by title than uh, than my name. But uh, if you want to, you know, connect with me, I'm on Facebook and on Twitter and on uh, Instagram. So that's just I'm the only person with this name. So if you type it in. You will find me immediately and then can connect with me and ask me detailed questions about my books uh, <laughs> or not, <laughs> or just, uh, yeah, just hang out on social media with me. Awesome. Thank you once again. And I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thank you very much. That was a blast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Anna Mossacat. Tune in next week when I sit down with T.A. Bruno, we discuss the subgenre of science fantasy, his background in the film industry, as well as his latest release, Down Below Beyond. Hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss it. I can't wait to see you next week. Bye now. Thank you for joining me. If you enjoyed the show, like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app or on YouTube. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Greatest Podcast in the Multiverse. As well, you can help support the show by supporting me on Patreon. For as little as $5 a month, you can get early access to the show, as well as submit your questions for my upcoming guests. I hope to see you next time. Bye now.